0: Great, good morning Grace Church. My name is Nathan and I'm the ministry apprentice here as Pastor Nathan mentioned before. And I have the joy and privilege to preach from the truth, from God's word this morning. So how about I pray for us as we begin. Dear Father, we thank you that you're our Father. Thank you for what you've done for us in Jesus. We pray that you'll reveal the truth to us this morning from your word. We pray that you'll give um, us ease to hear and that you'll soften our hearts, uh, that we'll apply and obey your truth. And we pray for all these things in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. Last week, some church friends and I traveled to Homebush. It's nighttime, there's excitement in the air, and as we arrive, we're surrounded by thousands of others sharing in the same excitement and we take our seats. Then the countdown begins, five, four, three, two, one. The stage raises and there's nine members who appear on the stage and the crowd roars and chants the K-pop group name twice, twice, twice. (laughs) Then the music starts, we're all dancing along. And for the next three hours, thousands of people are singing together. We're interacting with the members and we're having a great time. Now, I remember during the concert, I was looking around and I realized two things. Firstly, that thousands of us were there for the same thing, all of us had something in common that brought us together. And secondly, I realized that the Twice members referred to us fans as Onces. Onces. We had a fan base name that they called us. I'm reminded of some other fan base names, such as Swifties, who are fans of Taylor Swift. Um, And there's a group called the BSB Army. Uh, I had to research this online. So this this isn't the BTS Army, which is another one, but this is the BSB Army, which is the fan base name for the Backstreet Boys. Wow. And perhaps some of you guys are part of the BSB army. (laughs) So you see that the fans here, they're brought together by the same interest. In this case, a group or a band, and they're given a name. And as Christians, we share in these two similarities as well. We have something in common that brings us together, and we also have a name that we call ourselves. As Christians, it's the truth that we have in common, and we have our own name the Bible calls us a family. So today we're going to explore this and find out what makes us a family and what it looks like to live as family. Now, before we dig into the passage, you may have realized that 2 John may, might be an unfamiliar book to you. So I thought I'd give some context for us to help us to understand it. The author of the book is attributed to John the Apostle because of the content and writing style. He's writing to a lady and her children. Now, most scholars interpret the recipients of the letter to be a local church. John is using synonyms here because the church is being persecuted at the time, kind of like using code, hence calling the church a lady in this letter. So most likely, John, an elder, was writing to a local church in the midst of persecution in the first century AD. Understanding this will help us to explore the importance of the letter to to its original readers and to us today. So let's dig in. First, we'll see in verse one to four that we are family centered on the truth. Up to point one, we are family centered on the truth. Please read with me verse one to four. The elder, to the lady chosen by God and to her children, Whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in love, in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. At the start of the letter we see that it's the truth that makes us a family as the church we love each other in the truth we know the truth and it lives in us and will be with us the truth is at the center of who we are it it affects our relationships with each other our knowledge and it's living inside of us the truth is what makes us spiritual family but what is the truth what is it The truth here, it's referring to Jesus and his teachings. Jesus says that he is the truth. He is the truth among a world full of lies. Jesus is the one who connects us as spiritual family. The truth also refers to what Jesus says and commands. The teachings of Christ in God's word is living and active in us. Our commonality is the truth. We are people of the truth. We believe in the truth, in Jesus and his teachings, which reveal to us the gospel that comes through him and makes us children of God. And this, this gives John the Elder great joy because he knows that the people he's writing to are also connected to the same truth. John's response to this is shown in verse 4, where it says, It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. He expresses his joy that the children of God are obeying God's commands and walking in the truth. There's a great joy that comes from this relationship that John has with his church. The tone is warm. The filling of the letter is like a nice hug or or having a warm cup of tea in the winter. It's a wonderful encouragement from a spiritual leader of the church. John Chapman an evangelist in Sydney stayed single all of his life. He wrote a reflection on his singleness and what it was like. He said that being single is hard especially when you grow up and your friends have children and it feels like you're missing out. But he said in those struggles you experience the riches of being in God's family. He became a father and a grandfather to many many children, not his biological children, but at an even deeper level, his spiritual children. When his friends needed time off from their kids, they would ask him to help to care for them because he had so much time. And he did care for them and he taught them the truth from God's word. At church, the children would see him as their father and grandfather. And that brought John Chapman so much joy. He spent time with them, cared for them, expressed their unity in the truth. He has many people in his spiritual family, and many became Christians and grew as Christians through him as he preached the truth. You see, the riches of being in the family of Christ is that we are centered on the truth, and this brings great joy. We see it in John Chapman's life. We see it in the letter of 2 John, as the elder encourages his spiritual family. It's beautiful to witness. And what a great encouragement this is to us as a church, as Grace Church. God has blessed us with a church family that knows the truth. We have people here of all ages and all backgrounds. In spite of all these differences, our commonality is the truth. We are connected by the truth, the same Jesus and his word. Something that I love about being of an Asian background is how in Asian culture, You treat each other as family. For example, I can meet my Asian friend's dad and just call him uncle. How good is that? Especially if you don't remember their name. You can just be like, uncle, auntie. I'm sure you guys have used the same trick. You see, there's a high sense of family because we're Asians. However, as Christians, our commonality is different. It's not because of our culture or where we are born, but it's because we're all centered on the truth. We are all family. Our family goes beyond biology and cultural background. It's an ever-deep spiritual relationship and bond that's founded upon the truth and centered on it of Jesus and his word. So we've seen how we are family who are centered on the truth. But how do we live as family? Well, verse 4 to 6 tells us that we need to walk in truth and love. I'll read verse 4 and 6. Let's unpack what it means to walk in truth, and then what it means to walk in love, and how both of them are connected to one another. Firstly, what does it mean to walk in truth? The word walk is an action word. It implies activity. As people who believe in the truth, we don't just have a head knowledge of the truth, but there's an active component. You have to walk it and show it. And the way that we show it is by obeying we need to obey the truth. We need to obey Jesus and his word in all aspects of our lives. The truth should change the way you think and act. It gives you a new perspective on life through the lens of Jesus and his word. You understand why the things are the way they are in the world and what God is doing. Knowing and obeying the truth gives you Bible-based priorities and then leads you to act upon it just knowing the truth, it leads, it sets us on the right direction. But without actually walking, you won't get anywhere. It's like typing in directions into a GPS or in Google Maps. You press start, but you don't actually drive. Um, If you don't drive, you're not going to get anywhere. So we need to make sure that we put put our foot on the pedal. We need to obey the truth. And that's what it means to walk in the truth. One of the things that happens when you walk in the truth is that you love others who also walk in the truth. John refers to this as walking in love. So, then, one, what does it mean to walk in love? To walk in love is to live out Jesus' love for us and obey his commands. Jesus showed his love through his life and actions, he obeyed God's commands and selflessly loved others. Climaxing with him dying on the cross for humanity. Love isn't just an emotion, but it requires action that are based on the truth. John says that the command to love one another is one that the reader should already be familiar with. It's one that they've had from the beginning. And he says that to love one another isn't optional, but it's a command. It's something we must do. We must walk in. In love now you may have noticed that to walk in truth and to walk in love are both intricately connected they lead into each other they are the motivation and the why behind each other we can't love apart from god's truth we can't live without the truth apart from love they are interconnected we concurrently do both as we love and obey his commands Just like how you need two legs to walk, you need to walk two things, truth and love. One on each leg at the same time as you actively walk and obey his commands. And as a family who are centered on the truth, we need to walk together. Our arms are linked, each of us with our own truth and love legs, obeying his commands and encouraging one another on our journey. So far, John has told us that we are a spiritual family centered on the truth and that we should walk in truth and love. But why? Why does he say this? He says this because there's going to be people who don't walk in the truth. They are going to be deceivers and they will affect our Christian walk together. They will distort the truth and lead us astray. So we are told to watch out for deceivers. Read with me verse seven to nine. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such deceiver is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. How, um, whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Wow. John gives us a strong warning. Watch out. Watch out. There's enemies. There's deceivers. The deceivers here are people who infiltrate the church family with heresy. They manipulate and twist the truth in a believable manner so that people will be led astray from God. In the passage, we see that these deceivers, these antichrists, have gone out into the world. They're everywhere. So be on guard. Now, I just mentioned the word antichrist. That's in the passage. When we hear antichrist, we might think of Satan, um, which is mentioned in other parts of the Bible, In particular, in this passage, however, we see that the Antichrist is someone who acknowledges that Jesus didn't come in the flesh and who deceives others with heresy. The heresy mentioned in verse seven is called docetism. Docetism. The Greek word dokien means to seem. The author writes about these deceivers who denied that Jesus came in the flesh. They believe that Jesus just seems or appeared to be human, but wasn't actually physically human. According to docetism, Jesus only seems to suffer and die on the cross, but in reality, his divine nature couldn't be touched or affected by physical pain or death. They say that Jesus is not fully human. This heresy is one that these deceivers in the early church were spreading, and it led people astray. Nowadays, nobody believes in docetism, but there's still heresies and alive today. In fact, as we, if we approach it more generally, most people don't have the truth about Jesus. We can think of Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, and even our non-Christian neighbors Heresy in general, is wrong beliefs about the truth, about Jesus. And we see this all around us. So we need to be wary and on guard. Most of the time, heresy sounds like the truth. It can be 99% truth and even use words from the Bible like grace and love. But there's 1% of false teaching that ruins and distorts. One of my teachers from high school... He made this point by baking us cookies. Um, it smelled good, and, he, and we wanted to eat it as a class. But then he told us that he put in a little bit of dog poop into the mix. It was gross. You see, the cookies were deceiving. They looked and smelled good. 99% of that cookie was delicious chocolate goodness. But 1% was foul dog poop, and it ruined it. Now, it can be tempting to believe in the deception. And you may be asking, but Nathan, if it seems so easy to fall for it, how can we make sure that we believe in 100% the truth? And how can we stop deceivers and their heresy from infiltrating our church family? We see the answer in verse 10 to 11. I'll read it for us. From verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching... Do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. To help us to understand this command, we need to know what it meant in the original context of the passage. Back in John's time, false teachers were exploiting Christian hospitality as they traveled spreading the heresy. In Jewish culture back then, it was expected that they would open up their home to a traveling rabbi or philosopher. It was considered an honor to house these people with some sort of status. When these teachers come in, the hosts aren't just giving them a room to sleep in, but they are sponsoring and supporting them and what they teach. They condone and affirm their teaching. The danger here is that innocent or naive Christians might welcome them in without knowing that they are deceivers, who teach heresy. This is why John tells them to not take them into their house or welcome them, because anyone who does so sponsors them and supports them in their wicked work. So John commands them to close the door to these deceivers and shut them out. He gives drastic instruction in order to guard the church family. Similar exploitation happens today. So we need to heed John's command to shut them out. These deceivers, they're like a leech on our skin. We need to cut it off as soon as we can and make sure it doesn't get close to us. We should have nothing to do with them. We're not to give them a foothold to deceive, to not give them a chance to, to slither through the door and support them in their wicked work. John is serious. So what, it's, what does this mean for us? It means that we need to think about who we sponsor and support in their teaching and ministry. A modern equivalent of the ancient culture of hospitality is giving financial support by directly giving them money or even indirectly through purchasing their music and books. We need to consider who receives our financial support. uh, Would you give money towards this person's ministry knowing who they are and what they teach? This is something worth considering for you and your family. Now, in regards to allowing people into our home and church, we need to be discerning. This passage doesn't mean that we don't allow all non-Christians into our home or church. The Bible tells us that as believers, we need to show hospitality. But it also teaches us that we need to be discerning as we do it. Showing love and protecting the truth must be balanced. We need to show hospitality to those who are genuinely seeking the truth or open to understanding it. We need to help the lost find Jesus and be witnesses of Christ to them. However, when those come to infiltrate and deceive, we must protect the truth by keeping them out. What this means is that we need to recognize and discern between those who generally seek the truth and those who are deceivers. We need to watch out for those who have the intention to unravel and destroy our spiritual family. It's those deceivers we need to cut off. Here are a couple of steps that we could use to help to keep these deceivers and the heresy away. Firstly, we need to know the truth. In order to combat them, we need to have a strong understanding of biblical truth. The truth must be our foundation and center we need to consistently study scripture and know our biblical backing for our beliefs. Secondly, we need to recognize and discern the potential deceiver and heresy. As we know the truth and center on it, it enables us to discern who is teaching God's word accurately and who is distorting it. We can discern potential deceivers by asking what they believe in, discerning their actions, and trying to work out their intention behind joining us. If you notice that there's something a bit off, talk to another mature Christian about your concerns, perhaps your grace group leader or one of our pastors, to see what they think so that you guys can work together to discern and guard our family. We also need to discern the media that we consume and readings from outside the church or even Maybe inside our churches. Not everything that claims to be Christian is in line with biblical truth. In fact, even JWs and Mormons would tick the Christian box in the census. And their websites may look very attractive and engaging and look Christian, but we can't let that fool us. We need to discern the content, and we need to find out what they are adding and/or subtracting from the truth. As people living in the 21st century, we can invite deceivers and heresy into our lives via technology. Someone forwards a video on WhatsApp or sends you a link to some Bible study course to find the true and real meaning of the Bible. You see, deceivers and heresy can now be so easily accessed. And we tend to absorb the content in the privacy of our homes and devices without discerning them Or discussing it with anyone. We need to be careful of this. We need to put up our safeguards in our minds and our hearts. We need to watch out and be on guard as a family. The third step is to help deceivers, uh, to to help keep deceivers and heresy away, is that we need to be willing and ready to stand up for what we believe in. It will be uncomfortable and there's a cost to us. We need to be ready to defend the faith. The truth is worth fighting for. And lastly, we need to pray. We need to pray for wisdom and discernment, and for the Holy Spirit to guide us in all truth. So how about as we close this morning? I, we do this together as family, so please join me as I lead us in prayer about these things and what we've covered and considered today. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you that we are family centered on the truth. Thank you for Jesus and what he's done for us. Lord, help us to obey the truth. Help us to love one another. Help us to stand firm together As a spiritual family and fend off those who distort the truth help us to walk in truth and love father we pray for wisdom and discernment and for the holy spirit to guide us in all truth we pray for these things in your son's name amen